Good morning, Las Cruces and Southern New Mexico. This is Morningstar Conversations, uh, a, a radio show brought to you by Morningstar Church Las Cruces, a dusty little church on a dusty little hill on the corner of Morningstar Drive and Roadrunner here in Las Cruces. Um, I am your co-host, Stuart Davenport, the executive minister of Morningstar and uh, captain of chaos. Um, who is quelled in uh, his takeover of uh, Southern New Mexico by the ever illustrious pastor, Ross Wedker. Good morning, Ross. Is, that, is that my job to quell your takeover? <laughs> Something like that. You, you, you temper, you temper my, uh, my, my chaosness, my, my quest to, to spread chaos everywhere. And, and the chaos that I want to spread is the love of God, um, our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer everywhere, but sometimes it's more messy than it is, you know, uh, uh, neat and tidy. But then again, I think our creator, our redeemer and sustainer are kind of messy to begin with anyway. So it's all not a neat, nice little Christmas package as it was. Yeah. I always, like I'm always saying, uh, I feel like the Holy spirit, a better a better uh, symbol for the Holy Spirit than a dove would be a pigeon. A little, a little on the messy side. Well, and that's your nickname for me is I am the pigeon. And <laughs> somebody gave me a stuffed pigeon when you nicknamed me that. I, I like your idea of, uh, what is it, the Irish or the Scottish uh, believe that the Holy Spirit is, the, the symbol of the Holy Spirit is a goose. Yeah, Celtic Christianity. Yeah, Celtic. And so I like that idea because uh, if you've ever been around geese, uh, they are, man, they are a honking mess, man. They are, they are feisty, they are fierce, and um, very noisy, very, yeah. very noisy. That's so, why the Wild um, Goose Festival is called the Wild Goose Festival, is because yeah. uh, there were a group of people sitting around um, in a church called Solomon's Porch in Minneapolis dreaming up this festival. The guy who founded Solomon's Porch wanted it to be more like a film festival where they kind of take over a town and like have different theaters and, and something uh, along the lines of South by Southwest, I think. And the, the rest of the people were like, no, we need it to be something more like a music festival. And so they settled on that and we're deciding what to call it. And in that church, there's this giant in the ceiling. There's a great big uh, paper mache wild goose um, that hovers over the, the congregation when they're gathered. And somebody was like, let's call it wild goose. And so there you go. That's how it got named. Hmm. Um, we, we may have to make that kind of a reality. Uh, Doug Paget, who is a, a good friend of yours and an acquaintance of mine, uh, only when I wear um, his vote common good hat, does he recognize me? Um, we should have him on the show sometime. I'll wear my hat. Um, so it's the 10th of January and uh, we're, you know, 10 days into the new year. Has it changed drastically for you so far? It's like night and day. It's amazing how different this year is than last year already. <laughs> no, no, no changes. No changes, I'm sure. Uh, with what's the, the, there's a, a famous singer songwriter that I love. Uh, I like singer songwriters who tell stories. And so Slade Cleves from Austin, um, 
has a song called New Year's Day, and there's a line in there: "It's a New Year's Day, the same as the one before." Yeah. Uh, littered beer cans on the floor. It's oh, it's it's a great song, but um, yeah, it's uh, it seems a little colder, maybe, and um, but yet at the same time, I think the the crispness of that that morning coolness. Uh, I love that part of the day, though I don't like going out into that part of the day. I love that part of the day because it seems like in that crispness, that that uh, that straight line of crisp in the morning, um, that it. Um, that it, uh, uh, it, it, it seems to lend promise to a hopeful day, a hopeful year. And so looking forward to that. We are uh, 10 days away from- um, My birthday? Your birthday. <laughs> we are also 10 days away from the inauguration of the president. And That's right. um, at, the, at this time of uh, recording, we're recording a little bit earlier due to some scheduling. Uh, we can only assume that everything is, has gone according to uh, constitutional plan. That's the best way that I can put it. And so um, we, we, know, we expect some chaos on January 6th. I'm sure there will be chaos on January 6th, but at the same time, I think that how our forefathers um, of 1776 and our forefathers of 1887 and our forefathers of 1892, everything that they had planned um, that was supposed to happen on January 6th, I think will go according to that plan, which may or may not be um, the plan of what, you know, uh, a lot of Americans would want. Um, what are your thoughts on that? That the fact that there are people- I, you who know, I it's a weird thing. Uh, I was reading, I, I just, one of the things that's happened in the last four years that has been disheartening for me is that more and more people seem to be believing in conspiracy theories and they may not even recognize some of the things they're believing as conspiracy theories. You know, like, I don't think most conspiracy theorists um, would own the fact that they're conspiracy theorists. They just believe these super incredibly complicated um, ideas that um, just can't be true. It's like when I was in high school, Stuart, if I would skip school and then uh, have a reason that I needed to end up going to school on that particular day, like I would remember I had a test that I needed to take or I just got bored and wanted to go to school or something. Uh, my friends and I would come up with these incredibly complicated stories to say in the front office while we were checking in as to why three best friends all had a flat tire and this thing happened and that thing happened. And that's why we're coming to school late. You know, it was like, if you throw as many wrenches into the gears uh, as possible, they start, it's impossible to chase down all the gears. And I think that's what happens oftentimes with conspiracy theories. And so people are just like, I'm not chasing all that down. I'm just going to believe it. But uh, I was reading this morning about QAnon and uh, I started thinking like, How, this is so complicated. Like these conspiracy theories that QAnon is putting out are so complicated. And it reminded me of the idea of Occam's razor. So Occam was this, uh, philosopher, theologian, slash scientist, uh, 
from several hundred years ago. And he's not the first person to come up with this theory, but it's attributed to him that where you should start is with the simplest answer. If you're trying to find the answer to one problem and there are two or three solutions, always start with the simplest one. And more like, more often than not, that is the correct answer. The simplest answer is the correct answer. And I think that um, Donald Trump has overcomplicated so many things by adding in layers, um, whether he realizes he's doing it or not, I don't know, but he adds in all sorts of layers that complicate things. And I would just say like, people should slow down and use Occam's razor. The simplest answer is usually the correct answer. Yeah, I um, heard a story um, on NPR that basically was the same thing that you're kind of talking about, um, but it was kind of looking at all of it from vaccines to QAnon to, you know, the election to, you know, just, and so they, NPR and IPSO uh, did a, a survey and um, coming to find out how, like how many people believe in like certain things like some were less than uh 50% but 40% of people believing in it is a big number of people mm -hmm. and um some were like outlandish in the sense that like you know 60 to 70% of the people believed that there's some kind of uh voter fraud um headline today is that uh Georgia after doing their mail-in ballot check of signatures found no no voter fraud at all in georgia so um you know uh, i have a friend who served on uh, a couple friends actually who served on new mexico's voter fraud uh, committee that uh former governor susana martinez led up um about uh, six eight years ago and in 50 years of elections in New Mexico, only one person has committed voter fraud. And it was somebody in Albuquerque or in the Albuquerque area um, that wanted to test the system. So they voted twice and got caught. They got caught on the second time, like mm -hmm. got caught as they were trying to vote. It was crazy. So um, so there's checks and balances in place and, and all that kind of stuff. But so I'm looking at an article, Ross. Um, it's a crystal ball article from fortune magazine which is a, a fairly conservative publication um steven steve fort fortune who uh, uh ran for president a couple of times um uh, that's not his name but um i can't remember his last name but gentleman who publishes this and is the publisher so it's a prediction of what's going to go on and um some things to take place and so uh, it talks about that one of the things that stands out for me right away is that 2 million women lost their jobs this last year due to COVID. And um, that's, that is incredibly disheartening, I think. I, I, I wonder how and if they will get their jobs back in 2021. It's always concerning when uh, there are major job losses like that because uh it, it makes it makes you wonder like is that because the uh industries they were working in had major reductions and 
uh, or, or have taken major losses and how long is it going to be before they get back to a place where they can start rehiring and filling positions. And it's really concerning. And, and it, this article says that it was disproportionately affecting or this job loss disproportionately affects black and Latina women. And uh, it, it's just uh, this pandemic has been really crazy. I, I remember when it first started almost kind of joking about it you know like we were in the office one day and I was like here's the theme song here comes the theme song and I played Willie Nelson's it's all going to pot you know like we were kind of having some fun with it and it became pretty clear real fast like this is no joke I mean lots of people are dying but even if you you don't know somebody who died or you haven't been sick people have lost jobs people have lost wages and so um Man, I don't know. I, I I wish this crystal ball were predicting that two million women who lost their jobs would return to the workforce. But I don't I think, think that's how that, it's going to happen. Right, and I think the thing that people um, uh, struggle with is that most of the jobs lost have been in the service industry, and so that's where most women have a tendency to find jobs quickly is in the service industry. So whether they are uh, wait staff in restaurants um and or like at the you know corner bakery at the counter there or at starbucks making you know baristas making drinks um or whether they're you know um bartenders in a bar you know the service industry has taken a huge hit also the other part of the service industry is retail you know serving in in a in a brick and mortar retail setting and that's taken a big hit and i don't know if yeah. that's going to bounce back because i think people if they were uh, leery of shopping online before that, that has, that's gone to rest. Yeah. I hope in, in, I mean, obviously for the human reasons of people needing jobs and needing to work, I hope all that stuff returns, especially like retail. But I also, there's something about the, uh, the experience of, and, and I know a lot of, a lot of guys like that like to talk about how much they hate shopping but there's something fun about like whether it's whether it's going to Dillard's or whether it's going to men's warehouse or whether it's going shopping with your wife or kids you know that that experience there's something kind of fun about that and I've realized over the last few months that I even miss that you know like hey let's head to El Paso and do a little bit of shopping that's that's always a good thing to do and uh <clears throat> So I hope all of that returns back to some semblance of normalcy. Yeah, I think that um, uh, with Simon Properties, which is the largest uh, shopping mall owner in the United States, and there's another company I, whose name escapes me right at the moment, but um, you know they they invested heavily into J.C. Penney and Neiman Marcus, and um, trying to. I think the I think the thing that's going to be interesting starting in 2021 and going on into the future is the remake of a shopping mall. I think shopping malls are going to be remade into a totally different space and place. And so I think that I, I would like to see shopping malls, especially our, our local one, Messiah Valley Mall, made into more of a, a local center, you know, in, incorporating national stores, but also incorporating local stores in a viable way instead of um, pricing them out of the, the rent in the, in the building. And so right. I, I'd like to see that. And I'm curious well, as to what they'll do with the old Sears store in our um, local
local mall and and Sears stores across the country. I had heard um, uh, back it was I guess twenty. It's probably 2013. I uh, went to Truett Seminary, which is at Baylor, to a conference, and there was a. a I'm a United Methodist, and there's a United Methodist theologian there named Leonard Sweet, and I went specifically to hear him and and have a conversation with him, and uh, he was saying so. He's a guy who like studies trends, social trends, and academic trends, and that sort of thing, and he gathers data and tries to make some predictions about uh, what what the future is going to hold for churches and, and whatnot. And he said that week that, so this again was like 2012, I think it was 2012, maybe 2013, that it had been 10 years since a shopping mall had been built. And, and by shopping mall, he meant something similar to like the Mesilla Valley Mall or Sierra Vista or Sunland Park because obviously they're still building shopping centers, but I think they're building more like the fountains in El Paso or uptown in Albuquerque. Those are the new version of shopping malls. And you and I both uh, have spent time living in Denver and there are shopping malls there that have apartments above the stores, you know? And right. so they're building things to be more like uh, a small town downtown setting. And, uh, in that conversation, he was saying, but that's also indicative of the way people are living, that there was a survey done and people were ranking, where would you rather live, like um, in a suburb, in, in the city, or in a small town close to a city? And number one was a small town close to a city. Number two was in the heart of the city. And number three was a suburb. So people are wanting to be closer, um, or at that time they were, it's an old survey. But, you know, and my family and I, uh, my daughters and I, back in the summer, were watching a show on uh, Vice television called Abandoned. And it was about, a, like, physical places that had been abandoned. And they had a whole episode on shopping malls. And, like, how many shopping malls are completely abandoned or they're open in the morning for people to go walk within the malls. But there was one mall, Stuart, that... All they do is like they're open for people to walk. So there's a coffee shop open inside of it. And then almost every other storefront was a church. And so on Sunday oh. mornings, that place was packed, but it was like little bitty churches to great big churches. And you just like walk down the mall and you could hear like different music coming out of them and different styles of preaching. It was crazy. And just like, to think about what that experience would be like to try to pastor a church that way or uh i don't know i i had a lot of part of me was like that's kind of cool then part of me was really uh not digging it you know just kind of like yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not interested in that well i think that th that's the thing um in, in a totally different way uh because this it's so if you've just joined us, you've joined Morningstar Conversations brought to you by Morningstar Church Las Cruces, a United Methodist community. Um, I am Stuart Davenport and I'm talking with Pastor Ross. We have a conversation of, of stream of consciousness uh, for 30 minutes every week here. And we're talking about things to expect or kind of what we hope to expect or what possibly may expect or commenting on what to expect 
2021. And so uh, the idea of shopping malls getting transformed into churches or to be able to do one-stop shop of churches, I think also lends into the fact that, that um, that's the biggest thing that we in, in the church business, um, especially our community of Morningstar has had to really uh, test the limits on, you know, we, we struggled for the longest time and before making a decision out of safety and concern out of, you know, looking out for each other where um, we went online and we know that we'll come back, but we don't, a physical location is what I mean. We're still here, but we're gonna come back in a physical location, our location on, on uh, Morningstar and Roadrunner. But we also know that things are gonna change. And I think that's a, that's a real struggle. The struggle of, of um, where I think the comfort of a physical location of church has been tested and people's faith in what it is that our creator, redeemer, and sustainer had in store for us was not inside of four walls. It was to be out. Yeah. And um, we always talk about church over there. And this radio show is part of that church over there, the church in a different location, church to a different audience. Um, and so that's going to be interesting. Kind of swinging it back around into what to expect here in um in the new year, uh, I, I'm, I might shock you a little bit. So in 2006, I was living in San Francisco. I happened to be living in her district. And uh, to some extent, I think it's kind of neat. And I was, I was proud to do it at the time. Uh, you know, I voted for Nancy Pelosi as representative, my representative in San Francisco. And so was excited to do that. And she became Speaker of the House. Um, it was in that year that, that uh, was it? Yeah, she became Speaker of the House in 2006 when the, the, in the middle of uh, George Bush's second term, the, the Democrats took over the House. And, um, and then we have Mitch McConnell, who uh, may or may not be, we don't know yet, uh, as we're recording early, uh, may be the leader of the Senate. And, um, and I'm going to say that uh, I think both need to go. I think that they have served their time and um, they served their purposes. And, uh, and, and the reason being is because Nancy is a lightning rod to the right and Mitch is a lightning rod to the left and nothing gets done. And I am tired, have been tired for the last 12 years that nothing has gotten done in a timely fashion. And uh, the, the COVID relief package is a classic example of things not getting done and things getting tied to things that don't need to get tied to. And Nancy and Mitch are both guilty of doing that. And so I would like some new leadership. Change my mind. <laughs> I would have to, I would, I'm not good at arguing a point I don't agree with. I, I would not have been great in a debate club because um, I, I agree. I mean, it's so irritating um, to have four years of a presidency and then a few years of the prior presidency where um, the Speaker of the House and the Senate Majority Leader just gum everything up to where um, the process doesn't move forward. And I feel like, um, so here's a hot take also, 
<clears throat> we should not be electing business people to run the nation. The United States is not a business. It is a government. And it doesn't necessarily need to run efficiently, but it needs to run. And um, when it just gets stalemated over and over and over, I think the people in leadership have forgotten their job is not to block the other side. It's to move us forward as, as a nation. And um, we need a president who says, this is the direction, this is the vision, this is, this is where we're headed and is able to use the, use politics, which by the way, Stuart, I know you know this, but politicians by nature are not bad people. And being a politician is noble. And the fact that like, you're a public servant if you're a politician. And you and I know several people who have run for office and have been elected or lost that are really good people and genuinely are trying to serve. Um, and of course, they're going to do things that, uh, that we don't agree with, but they're doing it out of the best nature of their hearts. And I feel like sometimes at the highest levels of government, they have forgotten it's not a game. People's lives are being affected. When you, when you decide to give out $600 checks to these, uh, what was it, um, 2 million women, that have lost their jobs and you're gonna give them a $600 check and tell them don't spend it all in one place. Like you gotta go. If that's the best you can do, if that's the best political maneuvering that you can do is to come up with $600, you have failed to serve the people that you say you're serving because those 2 million women, $600 doesn't pay their rent for one month. It doesn't pay all of their bills for one month. It's it's a slap in the face and it's insulting. Um, I lived in Denver uh, up until 19, the end of 1991. And my apartment was $250 a month in 1991. That same apartment, uh, we have friends who have a daughter who lives two blocks away from where I lived and her apartment is $1,500 a month, okay? So I, I, I use that as an example to say that rent is rent. So rent in Abilene is the same. A house for rent is still 1,500 bucks a month. You can find a rent in, La, uh, in Las Cruces, 1,500 bucks a month. You know, you can find some for 800, 1,000, something like that. But what I'm saying is on average, rent is rent nationally it doesn't there's no cheaper place to live is what i'm trying to say you can't you can't move up to hatch and find something cheaper but you probably could but and then commute you're you're if you're trying to, to if you're trying to chase the rent is what i'm saying it's getting more and more difficult because rent is rent and so it's hard to believe that you know six hundred dollars is 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 the best that we can come up with um somewhere along the way you have to balance you have to balance the budget and uh and just like all of us at home are balancing our budgets to to whether if we got hit hard or what or we're expecting something in the future to happen and we don't want to get hit by that it's it's hard it's hard um I think that as we just have a few minutes left here in our show um uh, this week's show 
uh, I, I think what we we've been kind of alluding to and implying is that there needs to be some drastic changes um, where maybe hopefully what I hope for in 2021 is that we take a, a, a moment in time to take care of the least of these, which happens to be most of us. And um, that the people who have the most take a, a, a stop and break and realize like um, it didn't work a hundred years ago and it doesn't work today. It trickle down economics, just, you know, it's not the way to go. And um, yes, Amazon is creating jobs. You know, they're they're building a huge, you know, or the beginning of a huge uh, uh, pipeline of, of, of delivery in El Paso, um, which will be tied into Santa Teresa. So New Mexico will get a, a benefit of that. But um, Jeff Bezos not paying any taxes doesn't help anybody. Yeah. And yeah, I and I, I, I want to clarify also, while I think that $600 is a slap in the face, I can hear the person driving down the highway right now. I can hear the person driving down the highway right now saying like, yeah, but it's not the government's job to, to give away money. Like it's, we don't want to be a welfare state. And I, and I get that, but also it is the government's job to lead and they, they gummed up and messed up. Uh, the pandemic and didn't take care of people in the process of it like it during during the pandemic so now we we have small business owners who can't keep people employed they're hurting like crazy we have restaurants that are hurting and like it it falls like people people who work there are hurting just as much as the owners and if I owned a rent house I need the person to pay rent you know it's just the government can help in some situations, in emergency situations, they can say like, we're helping, but they need to help the right way. Right. Well, this has been um, Morningstar Conversations, uh, religious radio for those who aren't right. It's been brought to you by Morningstar Church Las Cruces. You can find us at mstarlc.church. You can also find us on Facebook at uh, Morningstar Las Cruces. And you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter as well. Um, our church services will be starting here in a few minutes. So you can uh, go on over to our website or to Facebook to watch. And um, you'll see our children's moment and the Sunday sit down, which leads into um, our worship service. Uh, so uh, I, I end here by saying that um, both Ross and I and um, uh, as well as you all pray for um, the leaders, not only of our local community and our nation, but as the world as well, as they continue to um, lead us through this time of change. Thank you for listening.